and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by Andra Ionescu, who will be talking about her work on the Topio Marketplace. And this is work that um, it will, will feature at ICWE. And Andra also had a demo on it at EDBT that won the Best Demo Award. So congratulations for that, Andra. <laughs> So yeah, Thank so more about she's, she's a PhD student at uh, the Technical University of Delft in, uh, in the Netherlands, and her research interests are data marketplaces and data set augmentation. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. So well, let's, let's jump straight in then. So I've given you a brief introduction there, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in data management research. All right. Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Andra, and I'm a fourth-year PhD student at TU Delft. Um, well, fourth-year means that this is my last year in my PhD journey, and I'm close to graduation, hopefully. Um, how I got into data management? Uh, well, I got into data management since my master's. So my master was in data science, also at TU Delft. And uh, for my master's thesis, I had the opportunity to collaborate with uh, Christos Kutras, who is who was my thesis supervisor back then, and now it's actually my he's actually my colleague. And we worked together on uh, data integration. We created Valentine, which is a benchmarking tool for data integration. Um, we did this together with more colleagues, of course. And this was a, a challenging experience um, as um, a master student, and I worked on this big project with tools and to topics new to me. So I loved it. I, I really liked it, and I expressed my intent to pursue a, a PhD career, a PhD trajectory. And luckily, Asterios Katsifodimos, uh, who is my supervisor now, had the position open. And this is how I got into data management. <laughs> so it's basically thanks to my master's. Oh, amazing. It's quite a similar sort of experience I had in mind. Like I had a really nice master's experience that kind of encouraged me to then pursue a PhD. So no, that's, that's fantastic. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about data marketplaces, right? So maybe for the, uh, the uninitiated, um, you can kind of start off and give us some background and explain to us what they are. Well, the data marketplace is actually a marketplace, but for data, for, for data sets. So uh, data is treated as a commodity and it's traded between providers and consumers. So someone has data that they want to uh, to trade, to yeah, share with others uh, in exchange for yeah maybe some money. And uh, other people are interested in actually getting uh, getting more data. And it's not necessarily about, uh, you can take an example us as researchers, because we need data, but also companies who are working on million things, they also need data. So data market platforms trade these uh, data sets and can generate revenue uh, by providing external extra services to help uh, both providers or and consumers awesome yeah i'm forever reading about what have over the past sort of five ten years data is, data is the new oil right so they're always saying right so it's only fitting exactly. as a marketplace to to buy and sell um the commodity right so yeah that that's really cool so 
Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about sort of what existing platforms are there out there and sort of what mm-hmm. are the problems with them, essentially? All right. Well, there are a lot of platforms out there. And um, I can answer this question from different angles because you can look at the landscape and say that there are too many platforms and why not have one and sell everything on that single platform. Um, but this can become messy and hard to maintain. On the other hand, uh, there are a lot of uh, marketplaces which are specialized um, for different data types or businesses or uh, fields. Uh, For example, uh, geospatial data as we developed the the platform. And there's also the data management perspective and we can look at the struggles regarding traditional data management challenges such as profiling, integration, metadata curation, enrichment, data search recommendation. And I think some of the platforms that are out there um, handled and solved one of these problems, multiple problems, um, to some extent or completely. We wouldn't know because they are businesses in the end. So in the end, I think it's all about the the gain and the benefit. Are there any sort of names that I'll be be aware of in the in the data marketplace? Sort of space? I guess the big players maybe have some platforms that they they have but I'm, yeah, I'm not really aware of any of them really i mean i've never used them i've never looked for them so i mean that could be my problem right so like i've never used to buy data, buy data so i'll sell it so yeah. um so we have aws data exchange data raid um these are more industry focused based right yeah and for geodata is carto and here to some extent, they are data market platforms and they do other things as well. So I don't think there's one that has only one focus. I see. I see. Okay. So I guess kind of building on that then, so you can give us maybe the elevator pitch here for Topio then. So how do you go go about addressing some of these of these problems you, 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 you've mentioned? And maybe as well, can you maybe ask, focus on why geospatial data specifically? Um, well, we wanted to to focus on geospatial data um, as open source data as well, because geodata is, well, there are a lot of companies and um, businesses around geodata, but there's not one place for geodata also in the context of Europe. They are more, uh, more uh, focused on the global expansion and so on. So I wanted to make it more focused, more specific, also because it's open. Mm. So you need to go a bit focused and specific. And yeah, I would say that Topio is an instance of an open source market platform. It's designed with openness, reusability in mind. Um, We have a lot of reusable libraries, which you can use not necessarily to build a marketplace, but also independently. And um, yeah, I see Topio is a joint effort to build an open source platform. Awesome, cool. So, so when you were going about sort of designing it, obviously you've surveyed the existing, um, the existing marketplace and the existing kind of the landscape of data marketplaces. But you also, in I know in your upcoming ICWE paper, you did a survey, right, where you kind of asked both the people who consume data and those who produce data 
to like kind of motivate the design and, and, and make it usable, like you said, said a moment ago. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about this study and what you found from it? Sure. So we conducted this service with the goal to understand the needs, the requirements, the, the preferences of both providers and consumers from very diverse backgrounds. So we have participants uh, from geography, information technology, marketing, with different roles in the organization and different business fields. And to, to summarize the findings, um, we observed a high interest into being part of a data market platform and selling data that way. But uh, there are a lot of challenges. So the consumers um, have challenges regarding standardization of pricing, of contracts, of payments, of fees, commissions, these sort of business things. And the, the providers, on the other hand, expect, um, oh no, sorry, the providers have the, the, the previous concerns. And the consumers, on the other hand, um, uh, expect easy access to data transparent terms and conditions, transparent costs. So um, there are a lot of bureaucratic and financial aspects, which probably they are an impediment with uh, the other platforms who make a business out of it. And aside from, from these parts, um, both consumers and providers want the same things, which is perfect. So they want the same data formats. They want the same service. They want to use the same services. They want high uh, data quality um, and possible templates for licenses, uh, to, uh, contracts. So the, the good part of the service is that they turn out to be aligned in terms of requirements, which is perfect, I would say. Yeah, that's that's, that's a great find, right? Because you find sort of a disconnect between the, the producers and, the, and the, the consumers, you then need to do something to sort of kind of realign them, which makes the yeah. challenge even harder, right? So it's good that they both want to be on the same page because it's just now giving them the platform to do that. So let's dig into, on that, so let's dig into Tokyo a little bit more then. So can you tell us, given what you found from, from, your, from your study, can you maybe describe the architecture of the marketplace a little bit more and the various components that make up make up the marketplace. All right. Well, this can be like a 30-minute talk. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just, yeah. just go for it, yeah. Probably like the ICWE uh, um, presentation. <laughs> well, it's a good John practice. Alicante, yeah, yeah. <laughs> join it. All right. Um, back to the question. The... So the platform, as we described it in our paper, has five major components. Uh, ingestion of the data, search and discovery, recommendation, profiling, and delivery. Of course, around this these components, um, we also have other components regarding the workflow of the, the platform, the legal aspects that like I mentioned before, the contracts, licensing. Um, things that we intentionally left out of the, the papers because this is not really our domain. So we were merely developers for this mm. component. And of course, there's also the UI part. That's a different story because you have to make the platform look nice and also be functional for the users. So I will focus on the, the backend side. So the more specifically, also the research side. Um, so... 
first the assets are ingested and stored in Topio. Um, so a data asset is uploaded, it's versioned, it's curated, and then stored. From there, the asset is directly delivered to consumers in their preferred format. So data assets lifecycle includes publishing, purchasing, delivery. Then we developed um, value-added services, such as the data asset discovery, the recommender system, profiler, because we wanted to increase the benefits for the consumers. So these benefits are twofold. We want them to better understand the value of an asset based on the metadata that we compute through the profiling service, because we want them to understand um, what the data set can be used for, what is the value of it, and then make an informed purchase. And the second benefit is also easier access and discovery, personalized recommendations um, of related and complementary data. We understand how difficult it is to find data. So having an engine that does that for you based on your searches and behavior in the platform I think that's valuable for the consumers and, of course, also for the providers because we, they can sell their assets in the end and make them discoverable and not buried down somewhere in the corner <laughs> of the, the platform, so to say. Awesome, cool. So, yeah, there's two things that kind of jump out that I want to dig into in a little bit more detail. How the heck do you go about working out the value of a piece of data? Like, and how do you go about pricing assets in Tokyo? <laughs> Well, pricing is indeed a hot and debated topic, and now especially in data management as well. Um, we investigated the possibility of making our own pricing strategy and deriving pricing from telling subsets of data sets, for example, or views. But this became very challenging. I mean, it's a, you can, I think you can do a whole PhD <laughs> on this topic. <laughs> so... Um, Topio prices data sets in two ways in the end. So first is paper data set, which means that this is the simplest form of pricing. And um, which means that we don't really do the pricing as a platform, but we let the provider offer data set to the consumers for a fixed price and uh, provide discounts or price per bundle or they do their pricing. And the second way um, is pay per API call um, on a value-added service. So when consumers read data from a value-added service API, providers can set a price per API call. These, uh, these calls are logged and um, then you charge on a per call basis. It's similar to cloud platforms, right? Mm -hmm. You pay for as much as you use. Um, but this is it as far as pricing is concerning from Topio side. Uh, we wanted to let the, the providers do their own estimation and assessment. Sure, cool. Is there, I mean, obviously, I guess there's a whole, and we hinted there, you could do a whole PhD on, on, on the pricing of data. Is, is there any other sorts of um, potential strategies you explored initially that then you decided to go, you know what, it's going to make things out of, a lot, it's going to simplify proceedings and, just make it a lot easier to build this marketplace if we kind of shift that sort of pricing either to the provider to set the price or go for like a pair API sort of model. Did you explore other ones as well initially? 
Mm, unfortunately, no, we did not explore, so actively explore um, mm. other methods because for that we already needed to deploy the platform basically and have the users who mm, will yeah. act normally. Let's say. <laughs> um, yeah, it. It will not work if we just pretend to know what we are doing, because the the providers um, from our surveys, at least, are people who know how to sell data. So they sold okay. the data before through other means, not necessarily using a data market platform, but they know how this business is going. I see. Cool. So yeah, let, let's 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 then dive into a little, little bit more, maybe about the discovery, the value-added service there. So there's a few, you mentioned a few different valid added services that you've incorporated in. So let's talk about discovery first. Can you maybe tell us how, how you go about achieving that essentially in the marketplace? Well, we start, um, so imagine you just deploy to the platform. Um, you have some data sets, um, either open data sets that are free to purchase, by the way, but you, we just make it discoverable, or uh, providers already in, um uploaded some data sets. So we uh, first create our own data representation structure, so to say, it, uh, but we use a graph <laughs> where we map all the, the data sets. And then uh, from there, we have two strategies of making data sets discoverable. So first we have the joinable, unitable case, where we just look at the directly connected nodes to one given node. In the case of marketplace, that will be the data set that you're currently inspecting, viewing. So you already found something and you want to, to find more to augment it, maybe. And um, there's another component, which is uh, linking uh, data sets. So you, let's say you have some assets which are favorite and you mark them in your favorite list and then you are browsing other um, assets. So we can look now on how to connect the assets that you're currently viewing to the assets that you marked as favorites. And uh, we are doing this by looking at transitive uh, paths, um, so traversing the, the graph basically from a source to a target. And uh, we implemented this in a Jupyter Notebook environment, which is also provided by, by Topio. I guess I want to touch a little bit more on the, you mentioned something earlier on about combining data sets and like doing views over them. Is that mm -hmm. something that you currently, that, that functionality that exists or did you decide not to do that? Or is it basically is the, the boundary of each asset essentially like you're not doing any sort of pre-processing in top of you to kind of combine two maybe similar data sets together into one bundle? Is it sort of very, everything's very siloed and it's not like, the, the, the producer puts it on and that's what gets sold, essentially. No, we didn't do anything in this direction. Um, I think this would be the data discovery limitations, in a way. Okay. Um, because we did not explore the um, um, fully capabilities of working with geodata. Okay. And I think this uh, part can... Yeah, this can look very nice in the context of geodata, but it's okay. not yet explored. Okay, I see. So it's, a, it's another PhD's worth of work. No, I think that you can do this in a one quarter. No, one, one, quarter, one, okay. one quarter of your PhD, so that would be one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> cool, awesome. So what you, you said there a second ago as well about kind of when, when a consumer is inspecting a data set and they can obviously then follow through to see other data sets and the discovery sort of engine within Topia will, will recommend to them, um, will show them things that are similar. But when I'm looking at inspecting a single data set, um, what sort of stats do, does, does, a, um, does a consumer get presented with? Like what's the interface there? Like or what are the things that I would be, how, that I would potentially be interested in? And like how do you characterize data assets, I guess is my question. All right. We have a lot of okay. about that. <laughs> So first is the data, the metadata that the providers um, input when they upload the data set. Things particular to, to the data set, such as you know, the format, language, uh, and so on. Things that the, a human can input easily without any problem. And then we have the automated metadata, which comes from our profiling service. And that's... Um, something that we developed. There's also a paper about it from uh, Athena, Athena Research Center. Um, they develop Big Data Voyant, it's called, and it's a profiler specifically for geodata, geospatial data. And um, we provide a lot of statistics about the column distributions, the also small graphs on for each column. Um, then uh, there's the map section where you can actually visualize the data set and see what area it belongs to. You have different um, samples. I think there's four samples for each data set. So you can actually scroll through it and see the, the values. Um, and I think that that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So you, you get you, as a as a consumer, you get presented with a whole host, a whole a wealth of statistics there to make your decision whether you wanna you wanna buy buy said data set. That's really cool. I I guess another um, thing you mentioned uh, a second ago again about the implementation of 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 Topia. When you mentioned that this is expressed in kind of a, in terms of like a Jupyter notebook, and that's kind of how a consumer would interact with 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 the with the marketplace. And um, what can you maybe tell us a little bit more about the back end? Like you said, that the assets come in. Where are the assets stored in the sense of it? Is, the, is there a database in the background there that's storing the information, or how is everything sort of hosted? I guess it's all in S3 buckets, and then you build on top of that, or yeah, how does it look like? Well, um, unfortunately, I don't have any details about that because okay. um, um, my co and the partners from, from Greece, from Athena, they handled all these technicalities. And I know that the, all the services are deployed with Kubernetes, okay, that I cool. can tell you. And yeah. it was quite complicated at some point, <laughs> or at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but there are... Um, I mean, I know for recommender system and for the for discovery uh, service, uh, they use the graph database. Um, it's one of them is Neo4j. Uh, they also use for for meta, um, the metadata Postgres, but I don't really know about other other technical details. Okay, cool. For, so, so, yeah, yeah. Search, indexing uh, the metadata and searching for uh, the assets that's Elasticsearch based. That's nice. So it's it's kind of a collection of sort of. Um, sort of like existing solutions that are kind of together as one have been deployed as one sort of whole sort of marketplace together, like a wrapper around it, kind of coordinating all these different um, different services and, and products and data databases. Yes. And so um, th that's the thing because uh, we have multiple components which are open source. They hmm. 
you have uh, the the GitHub repo, and each component, each library, basically de uh, describes what they are using. So in okay. the end, it was just a matter of putting all the services together. So that's why you use Kubernetes because it's easily plug and play, kind of a microservice architecture. I see. I see. Yeah. Awesome. That's really cool. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so I guess whoever kind of stitched all that together using uh, Kubernetes had some fun trying to get all that to work. <laughs> mm, yeah, fun. <laughs> I will yeah. not describe that as fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the, um, the, the usability of, of Tobium because this is obviously kind of a big design principle in designing this marketplace. And I know you, in your ICWE paper you have a... Um, uh, an initial sort of study on the usability and the performance of, of, of the marketplace. So can you share your initial findings on, on that, please? Of course. So we used the uh, beta version to assess the data lifecycle, basically, in the, in the platform. So we measure the time that the users spend on publishing and purchasing, because uh, ultimately this is the most important thing for the data market platforms. Can you publish your assets? And do you have any problems publishing your assets? And then once you found something that you want to buy, can you actually buy the assets? Do you have any difficulties in buying the assets? So we evaluated novice and expert suppliers. Um, the positive outcome was that most suppliers actually added more data, metadata. So this means that they understand the need for uh, sharing metadata and make it as explicit ex as possible, because in the end, this makes it very easy for, for the user to discover and purchase their assets. Another interesting observation, and this is regarding the pricing. Um, so when the suppliers um, uploaded the data, they also have the option to create services. And they spend a lot of time uh, on this process because they didn't know how to price the services. So they didn't know how to price their data that was easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but when it was about services, which is basically a new market activity, um, they needed more time. So more consideration was needed to, to allocate the, the right price for, for the service. And one uh, expected finding was that uh, consumers actually didn't have any problem uh, buying uh, the, the asset. And we are very happy with this because in the end, we wanted to go for a e-shop right, experience. Mm, yeah, yeah. And people nowadays, I think they are used with finding an item, put it in a cart, buy it, done. That's about it. Yeah, click, 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 done, right? Yeah, strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's deadly yeah. that. I mean, the amount of clothes I buy online because of that, they, they make it too easy to buy things, right? <laughs> but anyway, but that's really cool. So, can you, can you, I mean, the findings there are obviously very, very positive and kind of motivate you continuing this, this, this line of research. Um, but can you give us some sort of idea in terms of the sort of volume of data that sort of flows through the marketplace? Do you have any sort of numbers on that? And maybe the how much money, I guess, transfers through at any point. I don't have this uh, this data points. I okay. know that for the time when I had a demo, uh, there were hundreds of data sets, some open source, some private. Mm. Uh, but in terms of transactions, I, I don't have these numbers. Okay, no, no problem. I guess though, I guess there must be like quite a bit of activity in there for you to sort of 
get feedback from like producers and consumers, right? So I guess that's a good indicator that um, it's it's useful, right? If people are using it, so um, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so that obviously paints um, uh, Topia in a very in a very good positive light and shows that it's 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 kind of going in the right direction. But are there are there any sort of things that are probably suboptimal with Topio at the moment? Or kind of what are the general limitations of the marketplace at the moment today? We definitely have limitations. Um, so one thing that I can think about it's also the discovery service because um, I see that it's performing a bit slow. So when we have when we will have even more data or consumers, it it will become quite slow. So we need more optimizations in that uh, part. Um, definitely more research on data versioning, provenance, watermarking, even um, segmentations of the assets, right, to create different uh, smaller views, but based on the, the geo coordinates. One thing that we got uh, feedback actually at EDBT and it was a very interesting point that I, I haven't thought about it before. Um, to you as a user, you have a data set. And the scenario will be that you can use the marketplace to find related assets to the one that you have. So that would mean that you can upload your asset without actually becoming a consumer. Because for now, we have this uh, workflow that if you want to do anything in the platform. So sell data, I have to become a provider, use the notebooks and so on, you have to become a, a consumer. It's not difficult to do this, but there's an extra step, right? That, um, yeah, we didn't take into account in the beginning. So I would say this is a, a limitation. This is a nice segue into my next question is, how do we go about addressing these limitations and where do we go next in general with, with Topio? It seems like it's a very big project, right? There's a lot of different people involved. So I guess what's the big picture sort of view and then we can maybe go into your specific next steps. Um, well, for now um, that we made the, the beta version, there are still some services in the alpha phase that are not yet deployed in the platform. Um, for example, the recommender system is still not deployed because we were waiting for more users, more data. With the recommender system, you need activity in the platform in order to actually build something that is working in your advantage. But for now, it, it, we are taking a, a break because it's been a very intense effort. And um, yeah, as I said, I'm mm. towards my last year, so I have other things to, to worry about <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that's from my side. Yeah. Um, I don't know what my partner, partners have planned, because as I said, we are in a bit of a holiday mode now. Shutting <laughs> <laughs> down for summer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I know, it's good to say. So there's, there's no sort of plan initially I mean, on the immediate future to integrate chat GPT into the, the, <laughs> the marketplace, right? <laughs> well, that this is so new that we, I mean, we couldn't foresee it, right? <laughs> no, oh, yeah, I'm only joking, yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> that, that, that's cool. Awesome. Maybe ChatGPT will become a data market platform. Maybe so, right? Hey, yeah, chat, it's... can you find a data set for me to buy? <laughs> You can see it happen, right? Um, as a sort of software developer, as a 
kind of data engineer, how can I go about sort of leveraging um, the things in your research and, and, and Topio? But I guess the answer to that is I should just go and use it, right? Um, and have a play around with it. But yeah, I guess bigger, bigger question is like what impact do you think it can have? So aside from actually using the platform, um, I think the impact that we have is that we open source to the, the libraries. So you can have a look at them. You can use the services that we developed. Um, I can think, for example, of the profiler. Um, you can use that for other purposes or just have a look at how we implemented the uh, entire library. Maybe there's some thing there that is useful for your work, your research. Um, I can think of the also data discovery augmentation. There are a lot of components there that can be used in other for other scenarios. So I think the goal was to show that uh, it's possible to have small, well, relatively small components that they can combine them and have this instance of an open source platform. Amazing. Just a random thought that's popped into my mind um, whilst we were, whilst we were talking there was that. So you know the data sets they get, so the producers of the data here, maybe this information you might not be aware of, but is it sort of individual level? Like, so is it me selling my personal data or is it more sort of business level sort of people saying, hey, we've got this customer data set that we want to sell? Like, what's the granularity on the data set there? I think there's no limits. Okay. But um, thinking that, about geodata especially that can be business level because okay. um yeah we're thinking now about personal data or customer data but with geodata you actually have data about your surroundings okay um and other companies use this data to actually do the research on where to place the next store for example is the infrastructure good and so on so Looking a bit further from our own data, our customers' data, there are there is a lot of data out there that can be just used for other purposes, and it's I not see. personal. It's just about our surroundings. Okay, so yeah, I was just thinking that maybe I could sell my um, Google Maps history um, of me, like my, and then uh, if I was if I was feeling a bit and needed some, I don't know, some beer money or something, I could say, ah, you know, I'll sell all of my tweet data and the locations where I sent these tweets for, from to, I don't know. But yeah, I don't think anyone uh, would pay much for it, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that, by the way. I'm not really. Oh. Well, I don't know. Have you checked the terms and conditions? Actually, good point. And the Cholly, Cholly GDPR will protect me and I'm allowed to have the, the right to my own data. I don't know, actually. That's a really interesting question. Um, well, yeah. you can have your data, but I'm not sure if you are allowed to sell it, so to profit from it. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, yes, um, right, where are we? So yes, so my, my next question is, across the time sort of working on this project, what's maybe the most interesting, interesting lesson that you've learned while working? Um, I think, so because it's such a big project, I think the number one lesson will be plan ahead and double the time that you think it, it takes <laughs> because not once we, we rushed to ship something because we underestimated or because coding, you know, I mean, I think it works, but it doesn't. And then I have a bug and I'm stuck one week in a bug or something like this. Mm. And uh, 
they usually say it works and I don't know why. I don't know why it works and, and it doesn't work and I don't know why. So in software development, there's a lot of uncertainty. I know you cannot plan for it, but at least take it into account. And um, besides the time management, it's also a lot of people management. Right. Um, because you have to communicate your requirements, your needs, your expectations, so, so that other can help you, right? Because yeah. in the end, it's about yeah, being a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's oh. funny. The, 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 the estimation in, for like software, like how long it'll take to deliver this thing, is it's basically like a guessing game, right? Because I can say, <laughs> yeah. I can say, yeah, I'll have this done in, in a week or two. I can guarantee you it'll be at least a month. What, basically, the rule of thumb, whatever I say, double it. And yep. that's the minimum, right? And that's even on a, that's even if with a good backwind, yeah, probably will be longer. But anyway, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point you raised there. Yeah. So my next question is uh, from sort of the initial conception of the idea. Obviously, I don't know what point in the project lifecycle you, you joined in at, but where the sort of I mean, maybe up until this, this the ICWE paper, were there like things that you tried along the way? that failed that maybe the, the listener would find interesting? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so for the data discovery service, for example, I think we changed the data representation model three times uh, until we were confident that this is the right way. And that took a lot of work. And I also think that at some point we just circled around. But yeah, I mean, that's research, right? <laughs> Uh, you have to try all the options until you're sure that it's the right one. It's very annoying, very time-consuming. I guess there's a lot of um, wasted implementation effort there, um, changing the data representation, I guess. Like, you did it once, and then it was like, you want to do it again, really? And then <laughs> over and over again, yeah. I'm not sure if it's wasted, uh, but it's definitely not something that you want. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's not wasted right because it was part of the journey to get into the end goal and yeah. work. So it was, it was a good thing that you tried it and it didn't work. But yeah, I guess there is at times that can be, I guess, a frust- frustrating, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Cool. Um, right. So yeah, so I, it is obviously most of your research has been within the, the Topio project. Is there any other research that the list that you've done over the course of your PhD that the listener um, would find interesting? Uh, yes, so I, I mentioned data discovery multiple times because this is actually my main uh, focus. Um, so my research is in DBML, I would say, so databases for machine learning. Um, I'm working on data augmentation, uh, on feature discovery to improve machine learning performance. Um, I'm currently working on my next submission. Um, I don't want to give too many details, just that my my research is in data augmentation and stay tuned. Okay, <laughs> Maybe yeah. we'll do Watch another podcast space. about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get you on to do another one when, when, it, when it comes out for sure, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. So yeah, kind of going on from that then, how do you go about sort of, now this is one of my favorite questions, I love asking this question and seeing what um, answers I get to it from different people because it's always different. It's All right. how, how do you go about generating ideas and then selecting what to work on. So what's your creative process here? Okay, now I have to go back in the beginning. Um, So I started from something that I knew, and then I did a lot of reading. And I come with tens of ideas from conferences, 
but lately, because I'm the pandemic generation, so I didn't attend anything in my first years. Uh, but because I have too many ideas, I'm lucky to have my supervisors who kind of tone me down and make sure that I'm on the right path. Because every time I want to just go and um, start working on a different project, which is shinier and nicer and so on. So I think I'm very lucky to have uh, in total three supervisors, including my promoter. And they help tremendously with, with feedback. Um, I think I also circle around an idea a lot until I start the development, so the, the coding, for example. But it's still progress. I mean, it's still movement. <laughs> and I, I also think it's very important to like what you're doing. Because you can uh, jump on an, an idea and start wor working on it, and everybody loves it, but you don't like it. And then you're going to have a, a horrible time, right? I think what's very important is to, to like what you're doing and to have the right team to support you. Mm, yeah. Technically, uh, on a technical level, sorry, and also on an emotional level. <clears throat> also, a good mentor helps. So besides your supervision team, a mentor is, is very good because um, he or she can look at the, the problem from a different perspective since he's not actually involved in the problem. Yeah, so how, how did you go about sort of sourcing out a mentor then? Or was it sort of a, uh, something that the university that Delft has in place for to match you with a mentor? Or was it something you seeked out yourself? Um, I know that the, the university has some programs to match you with a mentor. And it's especially mm. in the beginning when you start. Uh, but yeah, because of the pandemic, I, I think we, I, I was not matched with the mentor, that's, uh, that I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So I found my mentor, I found my mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, work events, uh, conferences or other events in the, the country, so local events, and yeah, we just um, got friends and that was about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's that's fantastic answer to that question. I mean, having a mentor is great, right? And if you find someone that can, like a, if you find a good mentor, it's like invaluable, right? I think I totally agree with that. So that's a great answer to that question. We've just got two more questions now. Um, the first is, what do you think is the biggest challenge in data management research now? I'm uh, smiling and laughing at the same time. <laughs> oh. The biggest challenge, I would say, is reproducibility. People are reluctant to share resources, data, especially code. And I think this, this hinders the progress. I mean, you know, it's wh why should I reinvent the wheel when the wheel is there? Well, because I don't have access to the wheel, so I have to reinvent it. So then, then there's no way to actually advance it because we're just keep on doing the same thing. You know, there are efforts on improving this um, and other communities are doing much better from this perspective. Maybe they have other issues as well, but um, reproducibility, I think it's, or sharing the resources because people have different um, definitions of reproducibility. But I think this is one of the biggest challenges in data management. Yeah, for sure. I think that is something we should, as a community, strive more for, right? Totally agree with that, for sure. And also about, sorry, also about uh, data, because many times 
people just want, well, people, when I say people, like, I mean reviewers, <laughs> <laughs> want to see, want to see uh, experiments on real data. But since yeah. nobody's sharing anything, how can we actually work on real data? Yeah. I mean, we need then partnerships, right, with industry, and then you can't share anything because the, the businesses don't want to share anything. So it's like a vicious circle. So yeah, we definitely need to be more open, more reproducibility. Completely, completely really agree with you on that one, Andrea. Um, cool, yeah, so last, last word now, the last question, and it's what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this podcast episode today? Well, definitely have a look at Topio. It's beta.topio.market. I think I forgot already. The we'll URL. put a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll put it on all the socials so the listener can go and, go and figure, figure it, find it, and have a play around with it. Um, but I think on a general level, let's say, um, I think it's very important to, to be aware that it's a joint group effort to create something big and impactful. Mm-hmm. So for the PhD students, no matter how lonely your PhD trajectory is, just find your theme, attend whatever, everything, anything to find your theme. It will make a very big difference. And uh, with this opportunity, I would like to thank my students, my research engineer, collaborators, industry partners, mentors, supervisors. So you see, it actually takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's one yeah. one takeaway. It takes a village to graduate. <laughs> that is a great message to end it on. That is that is awesome. Um, well, great. Yeah. So let, let's 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 wrap it up there. Thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. And if the listeners are interested to uh, learn more about Andrew's work, we'll put links to everything and top you in the sh- uh, the link to top you in the show notes. And if you enjoy listening to the show, please consider supporting the podcast through buying me a coffee. It really helps uh, cover all of our hosting costs, etc. So yeah, please, please do that if you enjoy the show. And we'll see you all next time for some more awesome computer science research.